<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Monday, November 2nd, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, Raspberry Pi launches the Raspberry Pi 400. All the big platforms' plans for Election Day and beyond. Huawei is going to make its own chips because it has to. Gaming continues to lead the way into the future in so many ways. And the Kafka-esque nightmare of Google locking you out of all your accounts. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Raspberry Pi has launched the Raspberry Pi 400, a compact keyboard with a built-in ARM-based computer. It's available today for about 70 bucks as a standalone machine or in a bundle with a mouse, power supply, micro SD card, HDMI cable, and user manual. That will run you 100 bucks. But also, if I showed you this new Pi 400, you might not recognize it as a Pi. You'd say that's a keyboard. Right. That's because the Pi 400 is just a compact keyboard that you're supposed to plug into any sort of screen and just go with, you know, a computer attached, quoting The Verge. The Raspberry Pi 400's form factor immediately brings to mind early home computers like the BBC Micro or ZX Spectrum, and that's no accident. Although Raspberry Pi's small computers have become a popular tool for hobbyists to do everything from building inexpensive AirPlay receivers to automating smart homes, at their core, they're designed as accessible computers to help children learn to code. Quote, The dream always with Raspberry Pi is to lure people into buying a PC and then trick them into becoming computer programmers, Raspberry Pi's founder Eben Upton says. That's what happened to me. I was lured into buying a BBC Micro, and then suddenly I became a software engineer. End quote. Aside from its keyboard and form factor, the Raspberry Pi 400 is a very similar computer to last year's Raspberry Pi 4. It's got a slightly faster quad-core 1.8 GHz ARM Cortex-A72 CPU, up from 1.5 GHz in the Pi 4, 4 GB of RAM, Gigabit Ethernet, Bluetooth 5.0, and 802.11ac Wi-Fi. There are a pair of micro HDMI ports that can each output up to 4K at 60 Hz, two USB 3 ports, and a single USB 2 port. Power is provided via a USB-C port, there's a micro SD card slot for storage, and there's a GPIO header for attaching a variety of more niche devices. It's not just children learning to code to whom the company wants to sell Pi 400s, though. Quote, who's it supposed to help? It's supposed to help anyone who needs a computer, Upton says. Interestingly, that also includes businesses, with Upton telling me that the company sees the Raspberry Pi 400 being used as a corporate desktop machine or for call center agents. Interestingly, that's one of the reasons why the Raspberry Pi 4 and Pi 400 have two HDMI outputs, because two monitors is the default for a lot of business users, end quote. Well, for four years now, all of the big tech platforms have been swearing up and down that they were going to handle this election day better than the one four years ago. And the New York Times has a long piece up looking at how Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, among others, plan to handle things tomorrow, and not just tomorrow, but in subsequent days. Quote, 
Facebook's app will look different on Tuesday. To prevent candidates from prematurely or inaccurately declaring victory, the company plans to add a notification at the top of news feeds, letting people know that no winner has been chosen until election results are verified by news outlets like Reuters and the Associated Press. Facebook also plans to deploy special tools that it has used in at-risk countries like Myanmar, where election-related violence was a possibility. The tools, which Facebook has not described publicly, are designed to slow the spread of inflammatory posts. After the polls close, Facebook plans to suspend all political ads from circulating on the social network and its photo-sharing site Instagram to reduce misinformation about the election's outcome. Facebook has told advertisers they can expect the ban to last for a week, though the timeline isn't set in stone and the company has publicly been non-committal about the duration. In October, Twitter began experimenting with additional techniques to slow the spread of misinformation. That company added context to trending topics and limited users' ability to quickly retweet content. The changes are temporary, though Twitter has not said when they will end. On Tuesday, Twitter's strategy is twofold. Root out false claims and networks of bots that spread such information by using both algorithms and human analysts, while another team highlights reliable information in the Explore and Trends section of its service. Twitter plans to add labels to tweets from candidates who claim victory before the election is called by authoritative sources. At least two news outlets will need to independently project the results before a candidate can use Twitter to celebrate his or her win, the company said. Twitter will eventually allow people to retweet again without prompting them to add their own context, but many of the changes for the election, like the ban on political ads and fact-checking labels, are permanent. YouTube said it would be especially sensitive about videos that aim to challenge the election's integrity. YouTube does not allow videos that mislead voters about how to vote or the eligibility of a candidate or that incite people to interfere with the voting process. The company said it would take down such videos quickly, even if one of the speakers was a presidential candidate. As the polls close, YouTube will feature a playlist of live election results coverage from what it deems authoritative news sources. While YouTube would not provide a full list of the sources, the company said it expected the coverage to include news videos from the major broadcast networks as well as CNN and Fox News, end quote. FYI, while I was recording, Apple announced an event November 10th, where we expect them to unveil Apple Silicon Max. Invites were titled One More Thing, so put that on your calendar. Well, you'd be surprised if they weren't doing this. Sources are telling the Financial Times that Huawei is working on plans for a dedicated chip plant in Shanghai that aims to produce 28 nanometer chips by the end of 2021 and 20 nanometer chips by late 2022. Obviously, this is so the company can create chips that do not use U.S. technology, thereby getting around any trade ban. But also note the absolute breakneck speed with which they're trying to catch up. Quote, Industry experts said the planned local facility would be a potential news source for semiconductors after stocks of imported chips Huawei has been accumulating since last year ran out. The fabrication plant will initially experiment with making low-end 45 nanometer chips, a technology global leaders in chip making started using 15 years ago. But Huawei wants to make more advanced 28 nanometer chips by the end of next year, according to chip industry engineers and executives familiar with the project. Such a plan would allow Huawei to make smart TVs and other Internet of Things devices. 
Huawei then aims to produce 20 nanometer chips by late 2022, which could be used to make most of its 5G telecoms equipment and allow that business to continue even with the U.S. sanctions. Quote, the planned new production line will not help with the smartphone business since chipsets needed for smartphones need to be produced at more advanced technology nodes, said a semiconductor industry executive briefed on the plans. But if it succeeds, it can become a bridge to a sustainable future for their infrastructure business in combination with the inventory they have built and which should last for two Two years or so, he said. They possibly can do it in maybe two years, said Mark Lee, a semiconductor analyst at Bernstein in Hong Kong. He added that while the chips Huawei needed for making mobile network base stations would ideally be made on 14 nanometer or more advanced process technology, using 28 nanometer was possible. Quote, Huawei can make up for the shortcomings on the software and systems side, he said. Chinese producers could tolerate higher costs and operational inefficiencies than their offshore competitors, end quote. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features Features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I use this, and you should too. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee, so get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. The chip space has obviously been so fascinating lately for all the reasons we've been discussing, but also the game space has absolutely fascinated me this year for so many reasons. Cloud gaming on the rise, of course. The 
idea recently that gaming could be the thing that cracks the app store, the shift to mobile or anywhere gaming, the democratization of gaming beyond traditional hardcore gamers, but also mainly the whole idea that what we're seeing right now in gaming is the rise of a new Hollywood, a new global entertainment complex, bigger than Hollywood maybe ever was. That is fascinating to me. And if Game World is the new Hollywood, there's one other angle to this. This is another area where Asia is leading the way, setting the trends, and also increasingly owning the chessboard. Name most of the major game developers on the software side of the equation, and if they're not owned outright by Chinese companies, Chinese companies have a major stake in a lot of them. And of course, there's the traditional role of Japanese and Korean developers in gaming. So this might not seem like a big story to you, Yet another game you've probably never heard of, reporting an insane user base that you wouldn't believe if I didn't tell you it was true. But it's also indicative to me as an important story if you want to be a trend watcher. Tencent claims that its mobile game, Honor of Kings, has crossed a record 100 million daily active users, and that's of course a big deal. But also, it's interesting because Honor of Kings seems to be unusually successful as a broadly popular game, quoting TechCrunch. It consistently ranks among the top-grossing mobile games worldwide, jostling with PUBG Mobile, made by another Tencent studio, Lightspeed and Quantum. Gaming has long been the cash cow for Tencent, better known for its WeChat Messenger, and the brains behind Honor of Kings is Teamy Studios, which ramped up hiring in the U.S. this year to further global expansion. The game is credited for popularizing the multiplayer online battle arena, MOBA category in China, using clever designs like short sessions, friendly controls, esports integration, and social networking leverage, as games analyst Daniel Ahmad pointed out. Also, the title has an unusually high female player base, around 50%, for a genre dominated by males. Controversy has also arisen among Honor of King's fervor. A state newspaper chastised it for hooking young users and misrepresenting historical events. Tencent has since tightened age verification checks for players, now standard practice in China's gaming industry. Quote, There is still plenty of room to further grow and develop the Honor of King's IP in China. Lee Min, the game's director and general manager of Taimai Studios, told TechCrunch, I want to see it take on a life of its own and continue to resonate with and thrive among players for generations to come, end quote. Yeah, you know, an easy way to achieve incredible growth for any market, for any product has been for the last 20 years or so, hey, stake a claim in China or India or Southeast Asia, billions of users available. And the point is, with gaming, Asia is already well ahead of the West in terms of the mass popularity of gaming. But hey, nothing like expanding your market further by addressing, you know, the other half of the human population. Maybe they'll jump ahead of the West in terms of female gaming as well. And finally today, this might seem like another odd pick, but it was at the top of Hacker News for most of the weekend. So dig this. Business Insider has a story up about a rash of people recently who have suddenly been locked out of their Google accounts, all of their Google accounts, all Google services, and increasingly they don't know why. Quote, 
Claroth is one of a number of people who have seen their accounts suspended in the last few days and weeks. In response to a tweet explaining his fear at being locked out of his Google account after 15 years of use, others have posted about the impact of being barred from the company that runs most of the services we use in our day-to-day lives. I've been using a Google account for personal and work purposes for years now. It had loads of various types of data in there, said Stephen Rowley, a software developer from Birkenhead, UK. One day, I went in to use it and found I couldn't log in, end quote. Rowley checked his backup email account and found a message there informing him his main account had been terminated for violating the terms of service. It suggested I had been given a warning and I searched and searched, but I couldn't find anything, added Rowley. I then followed the link to recover my account, but was given a message stating that my account was irrecoverable, end quote. Rowley lost data including emails, photos, documents, and diagrams that he had developed for his work. My account and all its data is gone, he said. One Google worker posted in exasperation on October 12th that his husband's account had been locked and he wouldn't be able to regain access. Others professed to have been barred from using Microsoft services while losing access to Facebook accounts can be equally damaging. This is just how life is when you're dealing with trillion-dollar faceless corporations, said Errol Balkin, who has long campaigned against the control of our data and lives by big tech firms. It's just one reason why it's so important that we fund and develop human-scale small tech as an alternative to the stranglehold of big tech in our lives, end quote. Yeah, that's what I want to focus on. This is not just, you know, a bash Google story. We're familiar with stories from people all the time who go all in on one platform or another only to get screwed further down the road because they're so reliant on that one platform. Maybe you're a business that gets kneecapped when Google does an algorithm change and suddenly no one can find your website. Or maybe you're a YouTuber who has suddenly been demonetized or your advertising rates suddenly reduced. I almost did a story last week about a dude who spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to go all in on Amazon fulfillment, only to lose it all when Amazon determined his goods were counterfeit and then literally destroyed the entire inventory without giving him any recourse. With stories like that, which we've been hearing for years and years, we often just tisk tisk and say, you know, that's what you get if you put all your eggs in one basket, if you rely too much on one platform for your business, etc. But here's the thing. As the piece notes, all of modern life is software platformed now. How can you escape it? Even if you pick one or all of them, how can any of us get out or get in if we're locked out? I'd have a hard time if I were locked out of my Google services, getting into my bank account, getting into the app that unlocks my car. The piece does go into lost memories, lost actual materials, lost actual money. But here's the other thing that the piece didn't go into. The potential Kafka-esque nightmare of proving to any of these big faceless platforms that there's been a mistake. I've occasionally sort of fantasized about doing a satirical rewrite of Franz Kafka's The Trial, where, you know, one day in the near future, someone wakes up and can't get into their house, their car, can't make a call, send an email, can't do anything because they've mysteriously been deplatformed from all of the digital everythings. Because here's the thing. There's basically no functional recourse with these platforms. There's often no even nominal appeals process. People make fun of the platforms not investing in the human resources necessary to moderate content properly, but they at least take a stab at that. Conversely, they invest not at all in, you know, customer service for the billions of humans that actually use their services. And why is that? Because we humans, of course, are not their customers. 
The modern tech platforms as we understand them exist because, serendipitously for them, advertising can scale, but as we've said before, humanity apparently can't. Human needs and human interaction apparently don't. You, mere human, are never supposed to have any sort of serious problem with any of these major platforms. They don't expect you ever will because their bottom lines require that you never do. That they never acknowledge any problems are even possible. Something, something, Amazon doesn't publish a 1-800 number to call and ask for help as to why your package never got delivered. You think the DMV is bad? You throw your hands up and bemoan bureaucracy in all its forms as being dehumanizing? Then just hope, dear listener, you never run afoul of a tech platform, because the phrase, you can't fight City Hall, has a whole new meaning when there is no City Hall to even show up and plead your case to. Big gaming weekend for me. Check out my Twitter feed if I remember to put a screenshot up. I succeeded in turning the Kingdom of Savoy into the Empire of Burgundy in my Crusader Kings 3 game, which is great because now when the old king, or I guess now emperor, dies, the player heir becomes the emperor, and there are three kingdoms to split among the kids. The Kingdom of Italy, Kingdom of Burgundy, and Kingdom of Savoy. But all the kings remain vassals of the emperor, so no more succession wars, I think. And given that it's only like 1050, and the game goes on until 1453 AD, I've got plenty of time to expand. I could end up swallowing all of Europe if I combine some smart marriages with an expansion into Eastern Europe or Spain. When I attack fellow Christians, I have to have a decent Casus Belli. But if I attack heathens or infidels, I only need to use the ready-made holy war sanctioned by the Pope that allows me to swallow up entire swaths of territory. So silly, I know. Also, I think I told you how I've been playing Animal Crossing for the last six months just to earn bells so my kids and my wife can be creative in their games and do whatever they want. I earn the money, they have the fun, almost the perfect metaphor for fatherhood, I guess. Well, everyone now has fully tricked out houses. I've deposited one million bells into each person's bank account. All I'm going to do now is fill out every section in the Creaturepedia and donate all the samples to Blathers so that the museum is complete, and then I'm retiring. I know Animal Crossing is not a game you can technically ever win, but in my mind, if I achieve that, it'll be as close to winning as you can get. Talk to you tomorrow. 